we had a sketch group in year six so that's when i was uh 10 years old there was like mm. a sketch group that went year to year and we would put on a comedy sketch show uh every friday and oh, nice. i loved wow. doing that well, that's yeah. the last year of primary loved... school for us old people year six last yeah, yeah last yeah. year of primary school just before you were doing you yeah. were doing sketch comedy every week <laughs> delirious yeah we were doing sketch comedy and and i used to be the one who was like we're not practicing enough we need to write more sketches and everybody <laughs> else was like i don't know man we're kids and i was like no I can, I can write a better yeah. joke. I can write a better joke if you can. And we were doing, yeah, we were doing like parodies of game shows and stuff, and it was really, really. And I remember loving that, and definitely being like, yeah, and being. And my teacher would leave sometimes, like if she had to go do something, she'd be like, "Robbie's going to tell a story," and so then I would just <laughs> sit in front of the class and tell a story. And the fact that like the other kids in the class were okay with that, you know, <laughs> and weren't just like. Why the hell would we let this kid in our class just sit in front of us and tell us a story for five minutes? Hey, kia ora team. Today's episode is brought to you by Mr. Vintage. Mr. Vintage is New Zealand's most iconic t-shirt brand. Doesn't matter if it's a local pop cultural phenomenon, a sporting event, or even a New Zealand personality, there's every chance that Mr. Vintage has made a t-shirt for them and some product for it. Kiwi owned since 2004, selling Kiwiana t-shirts and gifts online. There's even a range of king sizes for us bigger fellas. Today, Mr. Vintage and us want to give you an extra special special. How about 20% off any men's t-shirt. All you need to do is go to mrvintage.co.nz in the checkout, use the promo code FUNNY, F-U-N-N-Y, and you will get 20% off any men's t-shirt. Head to mrvintage.co.nz, enter the promo code FUNNY at checkout for 20% off any men's t-shirt. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, congrats on the new uh, the new podcast. How's it going so far? It's going all right. I mean, you know, you could always it could always be bigger. You could always have better reach. You know, that's the that's the that's the world yep. we live in. But um, that's the nature of it. The 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 back catalogue looks pretty good. Just pulling favors in from people we know. I know, and and you know, we we continue on. It's just a. It's basically. I mean, you and me have done my other podcast, the DOC. Yeah. Basically, what I realized in that was the people I enjoyed speaking to most of all was comedians, <laughs> and so sure. I'm continu I'm continuing to do the DOC, but this year it's more of a political version of it. So I'm really having Got political it. conversations, and I'm like, but I, but I love comedians. I'm a I'm a fanboy. But I miss them. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to do something with comedians. And I guess I this it. is, I don't know if there's many out there, actually. I mean, there's lots of comedians talking to comedians about comedy, but I'm not a comedian. I don't know if there's yeah, very right. many kind of fanboys, huge fan of comedy, yeah. talking to comedians yeah. about comedians. So I kind of, I think that's the lane I'm sort of sitting in. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. No, no, no. I can't think of any. All of the comedy podcasts are, comedians interviewing comedians that i can think of yeah yeah and i'm not yeah. funny at all i'm a fucking curmudgeon bro <laughs> so curmudgeons yeah, interviewing but, I mean, comedians so are, so are a lot of comedians 
know. <laughs> hey, well, thanks for coming on board. We're just going to get into this. So welcome to the show, Robbie Nickel, a.k.a. White Man Behind the Desk, a desk, a.k.a. Citizen's Handbook. Um, it's cool. We've talked before on a, on the other podcast, but this is, I, I really am quite intrigued in your story and your comedy story. So I really want to talk to you about that. Um, so why don't we just get into it? And it was about seven years ago. I've been looking at your YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, it was a time where, you know, John Stewart and John Oliver and all, all these American, primarily American Caucasian comedians were sitting behind a desk uh, pontificating, uh, some better, some worse. And you came out with the YouTube channel, of course, White Man Behind a Desk, and it fucking blew up. I mean, it would be fair to say it blew up. I mean, you were interviewed on RNZ back then talking about New Zealand's uh, John Stewart and all sorts of things. Tell me about the journey getting to deciding to do that. And tell me about when that happened the story around it. Yeah, okay, can do. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, it's a pleasure. Uh, always happy to have an excuse to talk about myself and <laughs> comedy. You know, yeah. two of my favorite subjects. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, as you say, I was a huge fan of Jon Stewart for forever. Um, I think, yeah, I was in like year 10 and we had to write about someone we admired and I wrote about John Stewart and nice. my social studies teacher was like, I don't know who this is, but okay. <laughs> um, and so I, I've been a fan of his since way back. And, you know, and Stephen Colbert's White House Correspondence Dinner speech is like one of the moments I was like, oh my God, I love this. And I think obviously, to be fair, like, you know, it was at a time when, you know, George W. Bush was president and there weren't yeah. that many people speaking out against the Iraq war and stuff. So there was a real place for that kind of counterculture voice in america and then it kind of um yeah became increasingly uh mainstream i guess and then i think i yeah i was making a web series with um with the candle wasters who were um making adaptations of uh shakespeare plays into contemporary modern web series you know that old chestnut, that old chestnut. um yeah yeah, if I've heard, I've heard a dollar yeah. every time I've heard someone making oh, that, mate. I do, Everybody I do was rich. doing it. I do rich. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is the space we're going to be using. Now, it's not quite as big as we'd wanted it to be. Um, you'll notice that I can physically touch the two walls at the same time, which is really not exactly what we were going for. But, but. We reckon we can fit if we, if I just, if I stand here, if I stand here, we reckon we could get 20 in down this side, 20 in down this side, and then another 20 through here. So that's a full 40, and then, if, sorry, and then we'd use the windows. So we really want that, it's hard to explain, but we want the audience to feel as though they made the deal. Okay, we really want them to feel. We want them to feel as though they are Faustus. <sighs> yeah, so that old thing. Um, so we were doing that and they were getting crazy views. You know, if a white man behind a desk was doing well, I mean, yeah, the Candle Wasters were doing insanely well. They, I mean, wow. you know, hundreds of thousands of views. People were really, really into their stuff. And so it did kind of just create 
um, an environment where I was involved in this project and I was like, oh, okay, so you can just make stuff and <laughs> nobody stops you and you're just allowed to upload it to the internet. And, you know, it is that thing, you know, it's like when all the Nepo baby discourse, it's like you do just, often it's just because, you know, Nepo babies see their parents do it and so it seems plausible. You know, it's not even anything more complicated than that. And I think that's what it was for me with these friends where I was like, oh, I'm just seeing you do it. And so all of a sudden, this seems like a thing you can do. Um, and so then, yeah, I asked Sally and Elsie Bollinger to to help me do a John Stewart type thing was yeah. as complicated as it got. And um, yeah, and so we, we shot the first episode and then, um, yeah, Sally and Elsie's mum gave us the good advice to put it out there as if we think it's good um like don't don't put it out as like a, a amongst your friends what do you reckon should we do this as a proper thing like put it out and just pretend that it's already an official show that people should be watching and sharing right. and that turned out to be quite good advice and yeah people shared it around and i think you know ultimately it was because you know it was the john key era everybody was really a you know he was a very popular prime minister um and so to have this kind of lefty come in and and do some satirical takes that kind of went against the grain of a lot of what people were saying and he was you know it was just me in my early 20s with you know <laughs> in my bedroom having a rant um i think it had an authentic edge that people liked but also like enough professionalism there that yeah people shared it around and so we got well it was the, it was the script was nice. it was the scripting wasn't it it was the content i mean i've i've, I've long Thanks. been a proponent of it doesn't really matter. Once CNN started to allow people on Skype to come in and yeah. talk to them as interviews, they kind of set the level that actually it's the words that matter. I know we all love 4K. We all love it to look perfect and be produced. Yeah. But it's the quality that holds the people. It's the content. And your scripts were very, very good, which I guess feels a little bit different to the Jon Stewart scenario, although obviously their stuff is scripted he did feel a bit more off the cuff and especially when he had interviews and guests. Now I know you've done interviews, but that was very much yeah. more the, maybe more in the style of a today, John Oliver, you know, rather than a then John Stewart, just a, a piece to camera for a period of time, the facts, the scripting. And it's, that's probably the reason it went is because of the content rather than the bedroom set or whatever. Although that, you know, <laughs> add, add, that added that bit to it of Kiwiism, you know, we're just, we're just doing this boys, number eight wire, four by two, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's true. I mean, definitely like Charlie Brooker was another person that I was a big fan of at the time. Right. So putting things through his kind of, um, yeah, his sardonic kind of tone of that kind of like a slight bitterness and kind of frustration with with society was, you know, definitely his newswipe stuff and, you know, was a big influence as well. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, John Oliver then became the touchstone, but he started, yeah. you know, I, I, I can't remember when he started, but it must've been around the same time. And like, obviously we took a lot of inspiration from him. But yeah, to begin with, John Stewart was the reference um, for sure. Yeah. And when you, when you, cause you blew up, it'd be fair to say you blew up. I mean, like I'm looking at your uh, uh, YouTube channel right now and you know, those, those clips from seven years ago, there's like, you know, 20 to 30,000 yeah, views it? on yeah. lots of them. For New, for New Zealand, that that's pretty massive, you yeah. know, and it blew up pretty <laughs> quick. So obviously you, you, you talked about a touchstone, obviously it hit uh, the feeling that some people wanted to get. I mean, when that started happening, how did that feel for you? How did that uh, change anything you guys were doing? 
Um, I think it, I mean, it, it definitely made us feel like, oh, this is a thing to keep doing. Yeah. Um, that was the main thing that was, you know, that the views meant was, oh, we, we're allowed to keep doing this. This makes right. sense to keep doing this. Um, otherwise we would have just gone, okay, well, nobody liked that. And that's totally fine. And we'll try something else. Um, you know, the fact that I, you know, I've ended up doing the citizen's handbook since, and, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, pitching series in this kind of political comedy area. Um, it's definitely the result of the fact that, yeah, people picked it up and ran with it and, and liked it. Um, that's what that meant more than anything. I think, um, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, it, it legitimized it enough for us to feel like it, we could keep doing it, I guess is the only thing that it really, um, made me think. Yeah. Otherwise it's kind of just numbers, you know, it doesn't, it's yeah. not like standing in front of an audience or anything. It, 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 it doesn't feel tangible really. Oh, no, it doesn't feel tangible, but it is like standing in front of an audience. I mean, I sometimes look at content that you put it, people yeah. put out there and you go, shit, that's uh, Eden Park or shit, that's three Eden Parks or, you know, so you can think about it that way. Yeah, totally. it still eyes. I mean, there's no different really from a radio station with listeners on their books or a television station yeah. with viewers on their books. So it just feels different, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> you, but mind yeah. you, being on the internet, you don't get that immediate response like you would on stage, but it's pretty quick. I mean, within minutes yeah. of something being out, you can get the response. So maybe not the live response still, but still a pretty immediate response, at least to the finished product, an immediate response to the finished product. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, that's true. You definitely know the ones that have done well. I, uh, and, and look, I'd, I'd be really keen to hear your story about, about the longevity of that as well, because it appears that it hit really hard, really hot to start off with. Yeah. But then if you're looking at the biggest ones, they're still the ones that are around that five, six, seven years ago. I mean, there's the Three Waters one, which has done really well, and there's other bits and bobs as well. What yeah. did you guys pull away from it? I know. Yeah. Did you guys pull away from it? Or were you a bit of a Noah's Ark? You know, I, I talk about the Noah's Ark story being it served its purpose for a moment and then it was gone. You know, was it more that there was something in society that you went, OK, thank you for being our touch point for a while, but now there's not. Did you guys pull back? What happened? after that kind of hysteria, my word, the hotness kind of mellowed a little bit. I mean, the content is still yeah, as good yeah. as it's ever been, but the, the, but the views weren't quite the same. What was, what happened around that? Yeah, I think, um, my goal was never to be a YouTuber. Um, right. like that was never like my plan or a, a business model or anything was to, you know, I never wanted to be YouTube first. Um, so I think it was, very cool, yeah, to, to be putting out that content to begin with and to have that traction was a really good, like, affirmation that right. the content was good enough. Um, and so that was really cool. And to begin with doing, you know, I was just writing a new monologue every week and then that was very quickly apparently not sustainable, you know, to be doing that while, you know, not making any money from it, obviously, just putting it out there on the internet for free and so, you know, getting a job to... Um, stay alive at the same time and right. then um so you know it was sort of like i had my calling card of like i made this thing and that thing is there and if you would like to hire me to make a similar thing i can do that right. but it you know in the 20 30 000 view area it's not enough money to um you know to keep doing it like it's good numbers for new zealand and that's great and it you know hopefully is an indication of your ability to create good content yeah but you're not getting 
much money from the ad revenue, you know. Um, so that was, it, it sounds like it's kind of your spirit of Christmas. You know, the guys from South Park put out the spirit of Christmas DVD yeah, uh, yeah, totally. on, on VHS. That went out and all sorts of people started to take pay attention to whoever these guys were that made this thing. And then that led them to other things. Is that the vibe you're talking about? A hundred percent. Yeah. That's, right. a, that's a great analogy. Yeah. You know, it was the VHS tape that was being, you know, copied <laughs> and handed around producers offices where they were going, oh yeah, this is this guy. And he's kind of um, doing this thing, you know, and um, it takes a while. It turns out as we've found, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the easiest. You can't just create one thing that is quite good and then you immediately get a TV show. It doesn't quite work that way. Um, but, and I think, you know, in order to keep practicing um, and to keep my finger on the pulse and, and to kind of stay in it, Phineas Tippett, who's my co-writer, um, and I have kept doing the Patreon. Right. Um, and that was initially supposed to just be Patreon and we were just going to do that um you know, monologues once a month for, for patrons. Um, and then, you know, patrons were like, we would love it. Part of the reason we're kind of giving you money is because we like this content and we want people to see it. Like we do, we like that you're making educational stuff and we appreciate it, but we'd also yeah. kind of love it if you shared it around, because we would like to share it with people so that they can right. learn about three waters or transphobia or, you know, whatever the, the topic is that we've covered um and so we you know agreed to put some of the monologues out on um youtube but but you know sporadically and not at a pace that would build a uh the you know the traction that you need to get a lot of views and then the other thing as well is you know um and i've talked about this a bit is the the, the nature of new zealand on air funding and the fact that in order to get access to it you know, I mean, maybe I would have become a YouTuber if the funding model was different. Um, preaching to the choir, brother. You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if the funding model was different, then then maybe YouTube could have been a primary home. Um, but because of how the funding model is structured, which is, you know, that you have to get funding for a specific project and you have to get that project across the line with a platform that has a significant amount of reach, that means that you kind of have to leave your YouTube channel in order to access funding from the state. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not massively wealthy. So I did have to go for funding from the state in order to keep making things. Um, and so in order to do that, we, we had to, you know, team up with RNZ and, and make a separate product, which was the citizen's handbook, which meant we kind of had to say goodbye to um, our YouTube channel for a while. And so all of those things result in, um, yeah, it not being a home base for us in the same way that it was when we started out. Do you look back, because um, I can say I look back to 2008 when I was doing a mm. political podcast with Jeremy Elwood, and part of me today goes, fuck, bro, if you had to keep doing that, where you could or would be today, is there any part of you that looks back about the decision you made then and goes, we should have pushed through, we should have done it, or are you perfectly happy that that was your uh, spirit of Christmas and it's onwards and upwards. I think um, there's definitely part of me that thinks like, what if I had kept doing it at that frequency? But there's also just another part of me that knows that that was not feasible. <laughs> like, right. That it couldn't, I couldn't have done that. Maybe if, you know, um, yeah, if, if, the, if the funding had been available, but 
you know, to bring in, you know, like another person, you know, if I found Phineas Tepit, my co-writer a little bit sooner so that we could have alternated monologues and, you know, there's a lot of things you think, well, if that had just been this way and if that had been that way, but realistically they weren't. So you can't, yeah. um, you know, you can't go, I should have rewritten history <laughs> and the structures and systems in place at the time and the people yeah. I met at certain times. Yeah. <laughs> and then this would have happened. And you're like, yeah, that's a lot of ifs that you're cobbling together to create this reality. Uh, yeah. Um, um, what about, I'm interested in the RNZ um, relationship as well, because yeah. you're doing Citizen's Handbook. Hi, I'm Robbie. Minister, if I could just... No, not you. Why? Oh, bye-bye. Oh, camera angles. Potatoes. The potatoes? Yeah, the potatoes. New Zealand. For better or worse, it's a country. And you're a citizen there. And you're supposed to know how it works. So, let's get into it. Oh, oh shit. Yes, it's fine. Ah! Opa! This is New Zealand. Is quite the doozy. <laughs> what? No thanks, not keen. Hi, Queenie. I'm gonna eat you, and there's nothing you can do about it, so just shut up already! That's not true. It's not true. It was a joke. And yeah. you've still got ideas for White Man Behind the Desk. If you're receiving funding through doing something for RNZ, is there ever a conflict of interest or a concerned of a conflict of interest that the stuff you're being funded for is being used here but actually there's an idea that's going elsewhere which is is not it's almost like the the money that you're receiving to fund to do one thing is also kind of helping you do the other thing on the side is there ever a kind of conflict around that did rnz ever kind of say well now you're doing this you need to stop doing that was there any an ish, ever an issue with the, doing two things at the same time um no i mean not explicitly you know what i mean right. like yeah. there's no no edict from on high yeah there's no edict yeah. from on high of don't do this other thing um so that you can do this thing it's really just a matter of time and energy um and the fact that if you are doing one thing you don't have the time to do the other thing um so while we're making the citizens handbook for rnz we're not making white man behind a desk for our youtube channel and and i think you know like definitely we our tone um you know in the citizens handbook is a lot more uh, inclusive and gentle and educational <laughs> rather than critical and sarcastic and bitter and angry <laughs> yeah, um yeah and you know and i think you know we're definitely aware of the fact that you know if you do a show where you're ranting your political beliefs for 10 minutes you know um not everybody's going to love your political beliefs or love your episode. And so, you know, we're definitely aware of the fact that sometimes people might not be the biggest fans of us for that reason. And I think, you know, often I, I was, I was talking to uh, my, my sibling about this the other day, because obviously we're all kind of like this. Um, and we were saying that often when we meet people, they're like quite surprised by how just sort of relaxed and kind of friendly we are and it's like well <laughs> when i'm doing my angry monologue i'm talking about something i'm angry about that's yeah. that's why i chose that topic for comedy because i thought it was absurd and it gave i got worked up about it 
but in my day-to-day -day life, I just kind of hang out. Um, so yeah, so I think there's no there's no overt conflict of interest, um, but I do think we're aware of one, how putting your political beliefs out there can influence how people think of you and whether they want to work with you, et cetera. And two, yep. we're aware that, um, yeah, being pulled away to do something for RNZ means we're not doing anything for, for our YouTube channel. Little side note, no, I've been talking this week a little bit about the Gary Lineker situation with the BBC. You're involved with mm. New Zealand's version of the BBC. Is there anything yeah. that you need to be careful of when you're doing white man behind the desk, you know, because you have a, you are doing news, comedy, but it's still news. And then RNZ is concerned or shown concern about how you're then portraying um, opinion based on politics publicly. Has that ever been a conversation or is it something that's a concern or been voiced as something to, to watch out and avoid? Um, no. I mean, I'm very lucky that I've been <laughs> categorized Short as answer. a comedian. No. Short answer, no. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, you know, uh, we had you know, some complaints to the media council on our first season of Citizen's Handbook. And it was quite satisfying <laughs> to read the response, which was just, you know, first sentence was, well, right away, this was funded as a comedy show. So none of these complaints are valid or like right. will be considered. Moving on, we also think that, um, you know, that it was valid to, you know, th these opinions are not outside the realms of um, acceptable opinion and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that headline, that headline of comedy is good. I feel like the BBC situation, not that we're necessarily talking topical stuff in this podcast, but yeah, yeah, the headline yeah. for Gary Lineker is he's a sports commentator. End of conversation. Well, yeah, I, that was kind of my interpretation of the situation yeah. was like, doesn't he... How does this interfere with his job at all? He's a he yeah. talks about sports on match of the day. I don't really get this, um, but yeah. Anyway, that's that's a bit of a shame. It's not nice to see the BBC lose popularity. You know, I don't like it. You talked before. Uh, you said that it wasn't your plan to be a YouTuber. What is or was your plan? Like, what was your plan in twenty fifteen ish when this was blown up? And what is your plan now? Good question. Um, <laughs> Thanks. You gave it to me is, by saying it wasn't your plan. Yeah. So this is actually your question. I'm just a, I'm just a mirror, ah, Robbie. I'm just a mirror reflecting back wow. on you, your own it's comments. It's incredible. It's Bless incredible you. thing to do your work. This is, <laughs> you know, all these all these years of practice. It's impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Um, what was my plan in 2015? I think my plan in 2015 was be John Stewart. All right. And that was pretty like cut and dry. And... Sorry to interrupt you. Really terrible interviewing monologue uh, uh, details here. Um, but, yeah. but but because of that, why didn't it ever yeah. go to TV? Why didn't you end up ever being like a Thursday night show on TV and Z? Or were those conversations had at the time? Um, why didn't I? I think... I don't know. I don't know. No? I think... Were, uh... were those conversations happening at the time? Because after it blew up, obviously that means the public like this. Once, once often, you know, a media company sees what the public likes, they want to bring it on board. Did that, was that ever, ever a, even even if not an opportunity, an idea that was floating around amongst more than just like you and your mates? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, you know, we put um, the white man, we put white man behind a desk on TV and Z on demand. I think it didn't do that well over there from right. memory. Like on their platform, it kind of didn't get the traction for whatever reason. Um, and I wonder if that maybe affected things. Um, 
I think also just like, to be fair, I didn't, and I still don't really, but I, at the time, really had no idea how the TV industry worked. Right. And so I, you know, I, I, knowing what I know now about how you put together a pitch and who you would talk to and how to get it over the line. And then I think it could have, could have happened at the time. Maybe if I'd right. um, known a bit more about, yeah, just how to structure that. Knowing um, how to play the game. That's what you're saying. Knowing how to play the game and, and also just like, yeah, just, yeah, I guess knowing how to play the game. Knowing how to play the game and hope you don't come up against a Harvey Weinstein. That's, that's sort well, of the, sure. I mean, the you gist. know, that's, that's quite far on the terrible end, it but is. you know, there's it a is. whole spectrum of terribleness before you get to Harvey Weinstein. Um, but you know, I think also, I don't know. Yeah. Part of me is like, oh, you know, it's annoying that there wasn't like some talent system in place to kind of guide people who maybe had the creative know-how, but not the industry know-how to, to get to that point. Um, that seems to be something that the B, that the BBC does do brilliantly. I mean, a lot of people have been talking yeah. of the Gary Lineker situation that when he started, he was one of the most atrocious commentators and pundits on television, <laughs> and they actually trained him up and have turned him into the highest paid, you know, football commentator and 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 yeah, pundit right. out there. So there's like, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing that you talk about because it's just been a conversation I've been having in the last week that the public broadcaster internationally does seem to have that talent training pull. You know, they see mm. a Robbie Nichol and they go, Oh, we could do something with that. He could, he could be our John Stewart in 10 years from now. We should get him in. That doesn't exist in New Zealand. And probably if they had any vision, that could be a really interesting idea. All those comedians and gifted people and writers and actors out there could be brought on board as they were a bit raw and a bit sort of yeah. with, with harsh edges. And worked yeah. out how to give them a platform. Like we hear the stories about you know, how the BBC sent letters to people like John Cleese saying this will never work. And but 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 they approved it anyway because they're like, well, we need comedy, and there you've got Monty yeah. Python. You know what I mean? That sort of yeah. thing seems to seems to be missing in public broadcasting today. Yeah, totally. And you know, and definitely like um, you know, I'm very grateful to have been uh, part of, you know, with Citizens Handbook and stuff, to have been part of the the Kevin and Co. kind of pool of um, comedic talent, you know, who's done, you know, New Zealand Today and Funny Girls and um, John and Ben and, you know, worked pretty hard to create any kind of ecosystem that allowed that talent to come through. Um, yeah. But it kind of just feels like, uh, yeah, it's that that path is not as clear cut as it has been at other times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what yeah. about your plan today? That was your plan. Your plan was to be John Stewart before I so rudely interrupted you. What's the what's the plan today as an old wise man now knowing all about the game? Oh yeah. Now that I'm 29 and I know everything <laughs> there is to know. Um dude, 30. Yeah, 30 this the... year or 30 next year? 30 this year, October. Oh, how do you feel about that? Feel how do I good feel about, about that? that? I don't know. Is don't that know for another food. podcast? I don't know yet. Yeah, that's that's there's too much to unpack. You can, you can <laughs> go on Petra's podcast where she talks to like menopausal woman. That'll be the place to talk about turning thirty, perhaps. Okay, great. Right? Okay. okay, all right. Yeah, I'll I'll when I yeah I'll be like I think I get this. Yeah. Let me weigh in. <laughs> so plans um, from today. What's the what's the big plan? Waving the magic wand. What's hap what's what's happening with Robbie Nichol? Yeah. What's happening? We've got a few plans. One thing that we're doing is, um being a little bit tired of asking for permission to do things, going a little bit back to square one and doing 
what we used to do. Um, I've spoken to my patrons about it and we're, and they're all on board, um, which Good. is very nice of them, um, to take some of that money and put that into like a monthly late night live show, um, which would be an opportunity again, like as a way to demonstrate ability, but also to just practice in front of an audience and, and to get back into doing some interviews and to um, broaden out the skills a little bit. So that's something yep. that is happening in the short ish term, um, which is fun. And Meanwhile, um, Finn Tippett and I are just pitching our little hearts out all the time. We, I would say we come up with like, you know, we're constantly meeting with different producers and we have, you know, hundreds of sitcoms and um, live action TV ideas that we're, you know, constantly going, hey, well, could we do this maybe as a little panel show or could we do this as a little sitcom? Could this be a thing? And um then we get to various stages through the um, through the TV three and TV and Z and Sky behemoths, and we just keep pushing. Um, but yeah. definitely, we're we're looking forward to being able to do that monthly live show as well, and just to kind of vent and practice and have something where nobody's allowed to say no. You can't do that show. We just do it. Um, and it's an election year, so that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just trying to find that balance, really, of doing things that... Yeah, I mean, I was watching... Um, I don't know if you know podcasts, but outside. Have you seen any of that? It's these uh, two... No, I don't think so. It's these two LA comedians, and they just set up a table outside in LA. Um, it's on YouTube, and it's also in podcast form, as the name would suggest. And they just interview whoever walks past and they sit down and they just have a chat to them. And they also sometimes have comedian guests who are like arranged to turn up at this random street corner. Who just um, happen but... to be walking past. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I didn't realize. Oh. Yeah. Oh, what a coincidence. Come it's, like, it's, like the, it's, it's like the classic scene where on Jackass, uh, David Grohl just happened to be walking past on Jackass <laughs> the other side of the street and they went and got his belt off him. It's like, oh, look, what a coincidence. Dave Grohl what just a, happened to be walking past the Jackass set. Yeah. Yeah, someone who I imagine is a Jackass fan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, most of the time it is just random people who just stop and talk to them. Anyway, I was watching this and I was just like, oh, I'm really jealous of these people. I miss, I'm, I'm, I am quite tired of pitching at this point. And, yeah, yeah. um, you know, it's a pretty draining, it's an emotionally draining exercise, especially, you know, the further you get through the process, the more draining it is to then get a no. I, I'm sure you have experienced that where you just like, <laughs> you feel like you're so close and then you get a no and you're like, this hurts more. This is worse. Um, so yeah. I was just watching well, I, them and I was I, like, oh, I, really... I, could, I could mention some names literally right now <laughs> yeah. as we're speaking, but I won't. Yeah. <laughs> we... We absolutely could. We're going to be responsible <laughs> people. Look after and our not, And not burn those bridges. Because people are yeah, busier exactly. than me. Let's leave those doors open. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so kind of like, okay, that's enough pitching for a little while. Let's just make a show and put it on. And um, and I think that's the, that is one nice thing about, you know, I'm in Auckland and it just feels like that's something you can just do. And, and that's the other thing as well, where it's like, I feel like we've got a big enough platform online and stuff that we can just promote that and people will come yep. along. And So li live um, studio audience, that sort of thing? 
yeah, live studio audience doing a bit of a like just a late night show, basically. And live you know, stream uh, as well. Unsure, unsure. Because I also come talk to me. Yeah, I'll talk we'll, to you. We'll, sort you. we'll talk to come this talk afterwards. To we'll do some. We'll do some technical chats. Yeah, easy. Yeah, easy. Bro. That's not. So, that's not as fun for the audience. <laughs> um. Yeah. Look, it sounds exciting, especially as you say, coming up to election year to see what actually. Yeah, well, actually, totally. You can you can swing together. I was also wondering who you think you are at your core when it comes to comedy. I was asking, I've asked like all the comedians this, like like what are you? Are you a stand up? Are you a this? Are you that? Michelle Acourt said to me in her response, and so this I'm going to rephrase the question, but I want to give credit to her. Like when you're yeah. traveling internationally, what do you put down on the entry form as uh, your occupation? I write down writer presenter. That's normally what I say I am. Um, I would say like the people I look at and I go, oh, I want to be that. Probably like a, like a Martin Short type is someone okay. who I love, like a little imp, <laughs> like a cheeky <laughs> imp. And he's not really a stand up. He's but he does host things. Right. He's definitely a comedian. Right. But often he's in character more than he is himself. Um. He's good at being a guest on shows, but he'll typically have a whole bit worked out and right. he'll be like mean, but he'll be pretending to be nice while he's mean. And I feel right. like that kind of area and, you know, he does comedic acting, but he's normally not that far away from himself when he does that. So I feel like that kind of area of performer and talent is like what I aspire towards and that kind of tone. Um yeah, it doesn't neatly fit into a slot. It sounds like you're describing um, like an Anton Deck type character, you know, like sure, I'm not, yeah, yeah. E either one of that, that sort of funny on stage, has comedy at the heart, presents, makes everyone like. I always think about um, totally. like I do a little bit, a little bit of work in marketing, but it sounds like it's, you're saying the same thing. Whereas I take to people, I will take your product, which is fantastic, but I will wrap it and put a bow on it. I mean, that's what a good presenter yeah. does. You know, a good presenter wraps the talent, puts a bow on them, makes them even better. But it's all about the it's all about the core of the present that matters. And I'm happy yeah. just wrapping the gift for someone else. It's a bit like podcasting and interviewing, you know, it's like we totally. just want the, the, the best content to come out and provide the best platform for someone else to shine, even if the presenter yeah. or the host doesn't shine. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, you know, there are, you know, like, Conan O'Brien or something, you know, he's someone who mm -hmm. came from totally a writing background and then yeah, yeah. was thrust on stage. And, you know, he says he was bad at it for a long time. But I think like there is, there are people like that who aren't a neat, like it, it's not neatly in the category of improv or stand up or comedy actor. It's kind of somewhere in the mashup of those things. Um, and that's where I like to live, which is, I think sometimes, you know, sometimes it is hard where it's like, ah, oh, if I was just a stand up, then I could just do stand up and then I could do panel shows and then I could be on TV and then I could sell tours. Right. Like the path seems clearer. Whereas when you're like, a, I'm kind of a satirist who likes to do jokes that are kind of in character on a, it's like, you're kind of forging your own path a little bit more, but I'm sure all stand, you know, a lot of stand ups would say, yeah, I do stand up, but my actual thing is like slightly adjacent to that or, you know, 
Um, so we're all forging our own paths. It's fascinating to think about the panel show thing, because here in New Zealand, since seven days, that's sort of become more of a thing. And now is it, have I yeah. been paying attention to you on TV and Z? Have you been um, paying attention? Yeah. That one, yeah. Um, not to you, but just in general. <laughs> um, <you've got laughs> have I been the, paying the, attention? Have I been paying attention to you? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, um, I think so. I feel um, listened to. Thank you. I, I'm just a mirror <laughs> reflecting. Um, anyway, yeah, I, yeah. you've got wow. the chopper. The chopper character seems to work quite well on there. Have you ever had any yeah, approaches totally. or interest in being white man behind a desk but on a panel show? Has that ever conversation happened? Yeah, I did one like trial show on it, the um, classic, and obviously did not pass muster. They was not good <laughs> enough to to do that. They were like, "This guy can't do this." Um, so I did that one time. Um, and you know, I've I've written for panel shows and stuff, and that's been um, fun. I love writing jokes. That's probably actually like me and Finn have written jokes together for shows, and that is one of the things that makes me happiest because I do mm. just like I love I love writing jokes, and I think there is a part of me that is just like didn't realize quite how much I love writing jokes, and that I guess you just spend your whole life listening to comedy podcasts and comedians and watching behind the scenes on youtube and like kind of obsessing over every you know oscars monologue or <laughs> you know every time you get to see someone doing jokes you get really excited and then you kind of don't realize that that is a job and that you can like be paid for joke for writing a unit yeah. of a joke it seems like such a funny thing to be able to do um, and does that does that pan out that you fun. you love writing jokes for other people as much as for yourself as well? Like, does it not matter yeah, who yeah. delivers it? Wow, that's been the discovery as well. Because I think also it's fun to write like a proper joke. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I think when we're writing like a white man behind a desk monologue, it's like there because it's such a specific voice and yeah, yeah. a tone and an opinion. It's like a lot of the time the joke is the angle at which we're approaching an issue or just like saying something that we think is truthful in a really blunt way that is not how you're supposed to say it or is revealing in some way. But it's also just really fun to be like, okay, set up punchline. What makes this funny is that this word has two meanings and, you know, just like <laughs> that feeling of like, oh, th and I think that's also what's fun about it and joyful about it is that you feel like, oh, this is in the tradition of like, hundreds of years of like vaudeville and you know like there's a grand tradition of set up punchline that has existed yeah. for so long and there's something really nice and simple and straightforward about that um which i do love yeah on your journey of immense uh, immense time spanning of 29 years um yes. when did yeah. you when did you actually realize you were funny like when did you kind of go ah oh, i can make people laugh when did that happen in your life Hmm. I knew I was entertaining right. quite young. Like, I knew that I could put on a show. Like, I definitely remember being, like, a kid at, like, parties and things and being, like, the one on the dance floor keeping everyone excited and entertained and feeling like <laughs> this is a fun place to be because there's this kid here who's... And then I think, like, I was definitely, like, I was quite a nerdy guy, as you could probably imagine. Um, so, like, I... I wasn't like a troublemaker, but I think that's also because I had like really supportive and attentive teachers. And if I didn't have that, then I probably would have been a troublemaker because I wouldn't have felt like a way to release that energy. Like definitely wow. like 
we had a sketch group in year six. So that's when I was uh, 10 years old. There was like mm. a sketch group that went year to year and we would put on a comedy sketch show uh, every Friday. And oh, nice. I loved wow. doing that. Well, that's yeah. the last year of primary loved... school for us old people. Year six. Last, yeah, yeah, last yeah. year of primary school. Just before you were doing You yeah. were doing sketch comedy every week. <laughs> Delirious. Yeah, we were doing sketch comedy. And and I used to be the one who was like, we're not practicing enough. We need to write more sketches. And everybody <laughs> else was like, I don't know, man, we're kids. And I was like, no. I can write a better joke. Game. I can write a better yeah. joke if you can and we were doing, it Yeah, better. we were doing like parodies of game shows and stuff. And it was really, really. And I remember loving that. And definitely being like, yeah, and being, and my teacher would leave sometimes, like if she had to go do something, she'd be like, Robbie's going to tell a story. And so then I would just <laughs> sit in front of the class and tell a story. And the fact that like the other kids in the class were okay with that, you know, <laughs> and weren't just like, why the hell would we let this kid in our class just sit in front of us and tell us a story for five minutes? Um so yeah, I definitely felt like I was entertaining. And then I think, I don't know, in terms of being funny, I'm not so sure. Because I think also like all my friends were really funny and yeah. my family was really funny. So you just kind of, if I think if you're funny, you gravitate to other funny people and then you right. kind of just think everyone's funny. And then it's kind of funny when you like go to a job or go to university or whatever and you're actively pushed to hang out with people that aren't that funny they're like oh i guess i'm kind of funny by comparison <laughs> um the thing about I, I hear comedians often talking about like oh my sister far funnier than me my best mate yeah, funniest yeah. person i know but there's something there's a skill within the comedian entertainer writer comedy world yeah to be able to translate that funny into yeah. performance and that seems to be the difference like i've always had this question about comedians you now you hear comedians telling amazing stories about their lives and i kind of go yeah. yeah but if i had that story i could be on stage telling that as well and, it's not, <laughs> and, and i realized it's not true it's like i used to think yeah. you're only a comedian because you've got these great stories to tell it's like no no they've identified and found the great stories and turned them yeah. into a performance we've all had great stories but these guys and girls have figured out how to turn them into an entertaining performance on stage for other people to enjoy. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I saw a comment which I thought was totally true about um, Jimmy Kimmel hosting the Oscars the other night. And it yeah. was like the most, like these jokes are good, but the most amazing thing is that it really feels like he's just wandered out onto stage and has started talking. Like it does not in any way feel like he is doing what he's doing, which is being in one of the most heightened, surreal, stressful environments you could possibly be in and still feeling like you're casually talking to a friend. Um, and so I think that's, you know, to translate that, most of it is actually just, can you be as casual as you are with your friends hanging out in a totally surreal and strange environment where you're, you should be stressed out if you're a normal person. You talk about comedy and, and looking at, um, you know, jokes and liking to hear jokes and write jokes. What about comedians or performers for you? Because it might be a bit different from a stand-up comedian. Like as you were as you were growing up, you know, through your early 20s, um, as, as a kid and stuff, were there people or um, events you looked to to say, they're amazing, I want to be like them? And what about now? Who do you look to? Who inspires you now? Yeah, I think like... I mean, there's, yeah, no surprises, I think, 
growing up it's the same as most people like yeah i remember seeing holy grail for the first time at a sleepover and being like yeah. oh my god i didn't know you could be this funny like i didn't know it was possible like it felt like a layer had been broken where a new level of comedy was revealed and i think you know and like everyone like half my comedy style is just from the simpsons and yeah. um you know like you just it just goes in your brain and then it stays there and you're like yeah that's how you make a joke is how the simpsons writers made a joke um i think now what's exciting is because more people are allowed to do comedy i think what i'm influenced by and what i see has kind of broadened out a little bit as well and i and i think the form and also just because it's the internet and people are making you know in, in a kind of post tim and eric kind of era you have people just making kind of whatever <laughs> and you're like what is that is that sketch or is that stand and you're like i don't know it's just funny and so it's funny. yeah yeah and true don't ask questions about it you know like i just watched um rajat suresh and jeremy levick i don't know if you saw this they did um, something called the Hollywood Recorder, which was an hour-long parody of the like actors' roundtable, <laughs> where they have you know where actors sit around and talk about themselves for an hour to try and get an Oscar, and they did a parody <laughs> of that for like a full hour, and it looks exactly like the real thing, and it's just them speaking really seriously about you know making really really stupid jokes, and you know I love the work that yeah Rajat and Jeremy do which is just so so funny and so deadpan and so serious and that feels like oh you couldn't I don't know that's a style of comedy that people weren't making as much because it wasn't as easy to do a pitch perfect visual parody of something mm. um you know as it as it is now so that I love that Chris Fleming I find really really funny um you know I'm really excited for Rachel Sennett and Iowa Debris new movie, which I can't remember what that's called, but that looks like it's going to be really funny. Kind of a fight club meets Heathers is how it's been described. Um, so I love that as a tagline. I feel like there's a lot more, yeah, diversity in comedians and diversity in style, which is really exciting. And that's also like fun as well. You know, when I'm talking about, oh, I want to do like a, I'll do a late night show. And that's mm. fun to be able to go, that's a great framework and you know that stood the test of time and that's been around for 70 years or whatever that exact kind of format of monologue interview interview musical guest or whatever but i feel like because of all these different influences and because there's just this flourish of different styles of comedy happening all over the internet and people creating their own things that are all so different and subtle and weird and strange and totally free you feel like, oh, okay, I'm going to take that framework and I don't know what it's going to be like. And we'll just do it once a month and each month might be totally different and we'll just try a totally different thing. And you're just kind of free to do that, um, which is really exciting. You know, and I'm sure mm. when Python started Monty Python's Flying Circus, it probably felt that way too, where it was like, this isn't how it's supposed to be, but we're just going to do it, you know? It's also interesting to hear what you're not necessarily, so you're not talking about a lot of necessarily stand-ups. You're talking about performers and actors no, and true. comedies and movies and presenters. When I asked Radar yeah. this kind of question, uh, he re re referenced this television show from the 1990s called Beyond 2000, 
which was a TV show showing what the world going to be like beyond 2000. He's like, I want to be like them. That was his world. Yeah. And it sounds like echoing sort of your writer Is that presenter. Is that? I can't remember. It's from that? the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah and, it show, and it showed like, look, Chris look at this. This is a telephone with no wires. It was that, that kind <laughs> of shit. Beyond 2000. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you're also, you're not identifying as a stand-up comic. You're saying writer presenter. Yeah. And the people you look yeah. to and are inspired by, th there are stand-ups in there, but are also are in that world of writer, presenter, actor as well. Totally. And like, you know, Chris Fleming, I mentioned, like, they're, they're a stand-up, but they kind of only do their own stand-up show, which is one kind of thing. And it's, is it stand-up? I guess. It's just a person with a microphone in front of an audience, so that's stand-up. But it would feel weird, probably, in like a normal club as a five-minute set in between yeah. two other comedians. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. would be like, yeah. this is too much whiplash between what I just saw and this now. Um, and I feel like because of the internet, there's more of a place for that because you can find your own little niche audience and you don't have to fit into the model of what other people are doing. And that's just, that is one good thing about the internet. Hey, Robbie, it's been really nice to catch up with you today. I feel like we could talk for another hour, but you know, we've got <laughs> yeah, lives. I'll just keep going. Sort of it's the one we've thing I could talk about forever. Yeah. <laughs> If people want to know more about what you're up to this year and yeah. find out more about you and where you are, what, how can they do that? Um, I'm always tweeting to a fault. So you can find me on Twitter at Robbie Nickel, R-O-B-B-I-E-N-I-C-O-L. Um, you can support us on Patreon if you're really nice, patreon.com slash white man behind a desk. That's very kind and you'll be helping us create this live show and be getting access to all of that stuff before anyone else, which is, you know, nice to feel a little special. Um, yeah, and youtube.com slash white man behind a desk. We upload stuff there too. So yeah, check us out. When do you expect the live show to be happening and will you be touring it? In, in theory. Great question. Great question. Well, I am meeting with the producer next week, so I will have okay. more answers to these questions as they happen. So Stay follow you on Twitter more. to find out more. I hope we see exactly, you in the South yeah. Island if you're going to do that. Um, come down and do a gig at some of the pubs or clubs down here and, and uh, we'll get to Sounds take fun. your live show. Come, come and do some of the live uh, um, political news out of the Dunedin world. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. How's that going? All right, Robbie. Well, it's going to be going interesting because Clark's off. He's retired. And so there's, a, there's Dunedin North is available for people. Well, we shall see what happens. Hey, uh, Robbie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's a big I year. Do. Thank you for uh, giving us some time. And um, My pleasure. wish you all the best and say thanks for being on Let's Talk Funny. Thanks so much. Appreciate it.